please keep your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 8. Um, and if you've got a bookmark, uh, bookmark Isaiah because we'll flip back there as well. Before we come to God's word, let's pray. Lord God, we come to you now and we ask that you will speak. We ask that your Holy Spirit will work in us and speak to us because that is what he does. God, I ask that I would not speak but your words alone would come and be heard. Bring truth and life through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Wednesday, does anyone know what happened? Big news. Yeah, someone big died. Billy Graham. Billy Graham died. Probably the biggest uh, Christian figure of the 20th century. Uh, He died last Wednesday, 99. Uh, He was due to be 100 this year. He died at 99. He died last Wednesday. A week before that, 17 people died at a high school shooting in the US. 14 of those were teenagers. Billy Graham, 99. 14 high school kids. Dead. What do you do with that? How do you reconcile that? You've got one man who was blessed and lived a rich life to 99. And then you've got these 17 people who, some of them barely hit 20. What do you do with that? Last week we looked at Jesus as he started his ministry and we get a summary in verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23. He went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And we begin to see him do that. And then as you move into chapter 5, 6 and 7, you see Jesus teaching about the kingdom. What does life in the kingdom look like? And then we come to chapters 8 and 9, where Jesus begins to heal people. All through this chapter, chapters 8 and 9, you have Jesus healing people. We're going to specifically focus on chapter, uh, verses 1 to 22. Uh, but we're seeing Jesus in his ministry, in the beginning of his ministry. He's taught about the kingdom, he's proclaimed the kingdom. Now he is healing people to show us what? the kingdom looks like. So what do you do with death? What do you do with all this injustice? What do you do with all the rubbish that we see in our world? Here in this passage we see Jesus who comes not only to heal but to take on our affliction, our sorrow, our grief, and all the other stuff that weighs us down. So let's get straight into it. 
Uh, so in verse 1, Jesus has come down from the mountain where he's been teaching. And as he does that, verse 2, a leper comes to him and kneels before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is a big deal. A leper. I don't know what you guys know about lepers. Lepers are people with leprosy. Uh, nowadays we know how to deal with leprosy. It's still a big deal in the majority world, but we know how to deal with it. Back in Jesus' day, they didn't. They don't know what to do with it. And so for the Jews, what they cast them out. They have to live outside of the villages, out of the cities. And you see this in Leviticus 13. Uh, the, the, anyone who was found to have leprosy had to live outside of the city, outside of the village. And so here a leper comes to Jesus. This is a big deal. And he comes to Jesus and says, if you will, you will make me clean. Look, Jesus, I get it. I'm a leper. Nobody wants to deal with me. And if you don't, that's cool. I understand. But if you will, if you want, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus do? He stretches out his hand and he touches him and says, yes. You're clean. I will be clean. Now we heard in the NLT just before that it says be healed. But it's probably better to understand this as be clean. Because let's move into verse 4 because this is where our hint comes from. Jesus said to him, say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So, the thing in this Jewish world is that if you have leprosy, you're cast out. You are unclean. The whole reason that you're cast out is because you're unclean. You, anyone comes near you, they become unclean. And here Jesus touches the man and makes him clean. In the process, essentially taking the cleanliness on himself. Now, why is that a big deal? Why, why is this whole clean, unclean thing a big deal? Because by being unclean, he was separated from community. This guy had no friends. He might have had leper friends, but he couldn't be part of the community life. He couldn't just go down to the shops and buy stuff. He couldn't just go down to the cafe and grab a coffee. He was excluded from normal life. And Jesus here says, be clean. Be part of the community again. I am bringing you back into community. And so in doing that, Jesus says, go. Go to the temple and do what Moses requires. And again, we see this in Leviticus 14. And so if you go back and have a read, it talks about what needs to happen for a person once they are cleaned from leprosy. And the whole idea is to bring them back into community, back into the community of God. What about us? It's awesome that Jesus heals the leper. And he brings down this wall that stops him from being part of the community. Jesus heals people. He saves people. Why? So they can have a place to belong. He wants to create a place 
where people belong. And Jesus' intention is that place today is the church. The church is meant to be the place where people belong. And just as Jesus breaks down this wall of leprosy, which stops this man from being part of the community, our job is to find where those walls are and break them down as well. Our job is to find where are the walls that stop people from being part of the community and how do we change that? So I'm going to put it out there. Are we that kind of church? Are we the kind of church where people can come and find community? Now, what are we doing well? It's not to say that we're doing a horrible job. I'm not making that call at all. But what are we doing well and how can we do better? How can we do better at being a place where people belong? That they can find a place to belong? What are the gifts that God has given us here to be able to do that? But what can we do better? What aren't we doing well? What don't we do well? And what can we do to change that? These are the kinds of questions we need to be asking ourselves as a church. What are we doing well and how do we do it better? What aren't we doing well? What aren't we doing and how can we do it? If you don't feel part of this community, please come talk to me because that needs to change. If there is something that holds you back, if there's something that keeps you from being part of this community. Come and talk to me, please. Don't, don't leave it. Because Jesus, Jesus brings us into community. And that is our job as the church. Verse 5, Jesus now enters Capernaum. This is his base uh, for ministry. And a local centurion, a office, Roman officer, comes to him and appeals to him, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. He just makes a statement. He doesn't ask him a question. And Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. No, Jesus, don't come. I'm not worthy for you to come. You don't need to come. Look, I'm a centurion. I am under the authority of the emperor, the Roman emperor. He... He's my superior commander. And I'm a centurion. I've got a hundred or so soldiers beneath me. I, I get authority. You don't need to come. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. Verse 10, Jesus is just blown away. He's just spent however long teaching on the mountain with this massive crowd of people listening to him. He comes down, he heals this leper and then he comes into town and he sees this centurion and this crowd is following all the way. Keep this in mind, a crowd is following the whole way and Jesus is blown away by this centurion and he turns around to them and he says, no one in Israel, I haven't met anyone in Israel who has this kind of faith. And I almost get the sense, I almost feel like he's turning around to the crowd, none of you have this guy's kind of faith. 
You guys have heard me teach. You have been following me all this time. You've seen me do miracles. I've just healed a leper. And you will, none of you have this kind of faith. Verse 11, Jesus says these words. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to this crowd of Jews following him, he says to this crowd, are you sure you're going to be part of my kingdom? Because here is a man who has faith in me. And there will be many more like him from the east, west, north and south, from all over the world who are not Jews, who will come and take part in the great banquet of heaven. Verse 12 he says, while the sons of the kingdom, while people, while Jews who think that their relationship with their ancestors, who think that their good deeds, who think that their family ties, who think that being a Jew will get them into heaven, will be thrown out. Not just thrown out anywhere, but into darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture at all. Verse 13, Jesus says, Go, it's done. You believed and it is done. With the leper, Jesus invites people, he breaks down the wall and brings them into community. But in bringing people into community, he wants to take it another step further. He wants to bring people into his kingdom. Now, the thing about coming into the kingdom is that there is one requirement. Coming into the community of God, there are no requirements. Jesus breaks whatever wall there is to bring people into community. But to get into the kingdom of heaven... There is one requirement. It is faith in Jesus. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's uncomfortable. We live in a world that is uncomfortable with that message. Jesus is the only way. And the world is not comfortable with that. And some of us might not be comfortable with that. And I get it. It's exclusive. It's restrictive in a sense. It's limiting. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Just faith in me. It's not because you've grown up in a Christian home. It's not because you have this great Christian heritage of family generation after generation who follow Jesus. It's not because of how good you are, how smart you are, what you do, how much money. None of those things matter when it comes to the kingdom of God. The only criteria for entering the kingdom of God is faith in Jesus. 
That's it. The alternative, however, is not pretty. I don't like it. I don't even like talking about it. But it's ugly. But it's there. Those who are not in the kingdom of God will be thrown out into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know what else to say about that. That's just ugly. It's uncomfortable. I... But that's what it is. The good news, though, is that Jesus offers a way. He does offer a way. He might be the only way, but he offers that to all of us. No one is exempt from God's offer. Jesus' offer of entry into his kingdom. His offer of salvation, his offer of grace. No one's, there's no limit or ex- exclusion there. Jesus says, many will come from east and west and they will take part in the great kingdom of heaven. Verse 14. After this, Jesus goes to Peter's house and he sees Peter's mother-in-law lying with, sick with a fever. He touches her and the fever leaves her. He, she gets up and she begins to serve him. I don't, want to over, read, I don't want to read too deep into this. It's not about when Jesus does something in life, you go and serve people. That's not what it's about. Jesus comes in. He's not even asked. Notice that. He's not even asked. He just comes in and he's like, oh, you're sick. Bang. And she gets better immediately. Not only is she better, but she has the energy to get up and go serve, to be hospitable. When Jesus appears and he does things, he doesn't do it half-heartedly. Verse 16, it keeps going. It's evening. The job's still not done. People are still bringing to Jesus all the demon-possessed and the sick. And he heals them all and casts out the evil spirits. And here Matthew sees that all of this is a fulfilment of a prophecy in Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Turn with me to Isaiah 52. Um, So the the prophecy comes from uh, Isaiah 53 verse 4. uh, But the, the... Context of this starts back in chapter 52, in verse 13, and goes all the way to verse 12 of chapter 53. Uh, so turn, turn in your Bible. So let me just set the, the scene here for a little bit. Um, this whole section is talking about God's servant, God's servant who will come and bring salvation to the people of God. And in this particular passage, um, it talks about the servant who will suffer for the transgressions and for the sins of God's people. We're going to just read from verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed, and we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one 
to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In a number of weeks, we are coming into Easter. Easter is the time when Jesus will go to the cross and he will die. And in this passage is almost a step-by-step of what Jesus will go through on that day. I'm just going to run through it. Picking up in verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he he opened not his mouth. Jesus, on the day he dies, on Good Friday, he is taken before Pilate and Pilate starts to question him. It's like, are you the king of the Jews? Are these claims that the Jewish leaders are levelling at you, are these true? And he doesn't say a word. And goes on. He is like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. If you go through the day that Jesus dies, he is beaten, he is whipped, he has a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He is whacked about by the soldiers, spat on, he's looked down upon. He is oppressed and he is afflicted. And righteous judgment is not given to him. Verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus died on a cross with two criminals next to him. And then when he was taken off the cross, he was put in a rich man's grave. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. We'll come back to the rest of those verses later but it was the will of God to crush him. What kind of father does that to his son? What kind of father puts his son through that kind of agony? The kind of father who loves his creation more than anything else. And it is because of this love that he gives his son Jesus. What kind of son puts up with that? The kind of son who loves his father and who loves his people too. They say love makes you do crazy things. This is the craziest thing that love will ever do. The love of God drove Jesus to die on the cross. And on that cross, he takes on all of our burdens. He takes on all of our grief, all of our sorrow, all of our sin, and he takes on death. Verse 18, 
Jesus continues and this crowd just continues to grow and he just needs a break. And so he tells his disciples to get ready to go over to the other side of the lake, of the Sea of Galilee. Just before they get away though, a scribe, a Jewish scribe comes to him and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus, I love what you're doing. I want to follow you. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Next we have another candidate. This is someone who's actually following Jesus, someone from the crowd who calls himself a disciple and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, let me go first bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. What's Jesus getting at here? In the first case, we have this guy who's all gung-ho and he loves Jesus. Like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Whatever happens, I'm good. Let's go. Jesus says, are you sure? Are you sure you know what you're getting yourself into? The animals have somewhere to live. The fox has a den. The birds have a nest. I don't have a home. Are you cool with that? Is that okay? You want to follow me wherever I go? Are you cool that I don't have a home? Then you have this second guy who says, Hey Jesus, can I go bury my dad first? We don't know whether he's dead or alive. We don't know what the situation is. But we have this guy who's been following Jesus. like, Jesus, you're cool, but I've got a life to live. I've got stuff to do. Can, can I come back to you later? Can I just live my life? Can I have fun? Can I go do all these cool things and come back to you later? And Jesus says, follow me. And the NLT spells it out. Let the spiritual dead bury the dead. Let all the worldly stuff be left to the world. You follow me. Jesus brings people into community. And in that community, he wants to bring them into his kingdom. And entry into that kingdom is simply faith in him. But there is a cost. Following Jesus, while it is simple as having faith in Jesus, comes at a cost. And while it is that simple, the cost will be that we are not like the world. The, we, the, the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of this world. And so when you choose to follow Jesus, life looks different. Your priorities are different. What's important is different. The things that matter most to you change. The people that matter to you change. Your dreams and your future change. Billy Graham, when he came and gave his life to Jesus, he was at a, 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 a gospel rally, he was at an evangelistic meeting, and he was, it's, it's, this is in his diary, he's walking up to the front to, to give his life to Jesus. And as he's going up, he's asking the question, do I want to give my dreams and future away? Do, am I ready to give my dreams and my future to Jesus? 
And if you hear Jesus and he is calling to you, you need to ask yourself the same question. Am I ready to give up my dreams and future? Am I willing to go wherever Jesus goes? Am I willing to let him define what is important in my life, what my dreams are, what my future is? Am I willing to let him do that? And so we see in the, this passage here that there are, there's three things that we need to think about. What it means to be the community of God that Jesus creates, that Jesus brings people into. What it means to be part of his kingdom, to enter into his kingdom. And then the choice that we have to make, whether we follow him or not. Why does Jesus heal people? That's, that's the whole point of this passage. Jesus he, is healing people. What's the point? Does he heal today? I said I was going to answer this question. Does he heal today? I believe he does. He still heals. I hear it all the time. But what's the point? And the same can be said of his miracles. Why does he perform miracles? I want to say two things particularly. One, it gives us a glimpse of heaven. And two, it gives us a glimpse of who God is. So firstly, Jesus performs uh, miracles. He heals people because he wants to give us a glimpse of heaven. I've been quoting this, we've been, uh, I've brought up this verse quite a few times already these past few weeks, but Revelation 21, I can't get away from it. Um, it's the end, the end has come, Jesus has come, he's won, he's destroyed sin, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 3, chapter 21, Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so Jesus performing miracles, healing people, gives us a glimpse of heaven. It doesn't bring heaven here, but it gives us a glimpse of heaven. Heaven isn't here yet. It's there, but we're not there yet. And so when Jesus performs these healings, these miracles, he gives us a glimpse into what life in his kingdom is going to look like. And the first thing that verse 3 says is that God is there. When Jesus brings people into community, when he brings them into his kingdom, God is with them. But then secondly, he deals with the issue of sin. We saw this back in Genesis 3, that when sin enters the world, it messed everything up. Not just our moral or, and spiritual situation, but our physical, mental and spiritual, emotional state as well. Everything was affected by sin. And here Jesus says, in his miracles, in his healings, 
I will be clean. He comes in his miracles, in his healings, to deal with sin and all of its effects. And we get this picture of what heaven will be like. It points back to what creation was intended to be, but it points to a future when sin will be no more. When everything will be perfect, when everything will be made right. The second thing is that it gives us a picture of who God is. And in this particular instance, we've seen in Isaiah uh, that it is this picture of a God who is willing to give his son not only to save us from sin, but to take on sin for us. Go back to Isaiah 53. Verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. God sends his son, Jesus, to take on sin. And when he heals people, when he comes and does something miraculous in their life, he's not just wiping it off the face of the earth, he is taking it on himself on the cross. Now, I don't know how how much you can picture this, but on the cross, the sin of the past, the sin of the present and the sins of the future of all people who put their faith on Jesus, lay all of their sin on him, on the cross. All their grief, all their sorrow, all their weaknesses, all their burdens, all their struggles, that is laid on Jesus at the cross. I can't... I was was trying to find some way of illustrating that and I can't because it is that huge. Civilised human history goes back, what, 8,000 years, 9,000 years? I'm not even talking about prehistory and what we don't even know and what we're not sure about. Eight, 9,000 years of people up till now and not knowing when Jesus is coming back. All of those people with all of their grief, all of their sin, all of their worries, all of their stress, all of their lives, all of sin is laid on him in that one moment. And so when it says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him, He was crushed. It's not like he was just dealing with this room of people. He's dealing with all of history and all of future. And in that moment he was crushed by the weight of sin. But picking up again in verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, 
he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. In the moment that he is crushed, there is a knowledge, there is a contentment, there is a satisfaction that in his crushing moment of death with the weight of sin on his shoulders, all who put their faith in him will be made righteous, will be free from sin, will be free from its curse and its effects. That's the offer that Jesus makes. Yes, he says, follow me. Yes, he says, it will cost you. But it cost him too. It not only cost him his life, but for a brief moment, separation from his father. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That whatever life throws at you, whatever you go through in life, Jesus says, follow me and let me take it. Let me take it all. Whatever, whatever troubles, whatever havoc that sin has unleashed in your life, bring it all to me. And I will deal with it. I will bear it. I will carry it. And I have done it on the cross. It is done. It is dealt with on the cross. And when I deal with it, it is done. I am willing. Be clean. And so whatever you go through, whatever battles you face, whatever struggles you face, even the smallest things in each day, bring them to Jesus. Let them go. Don't hold on to them. Let them go. He knows what he's doing. He is good. He doesn't go to the cross because it was some great idea. He goes to the cross because he loves you. Because he loves people. And he wants to see the problem of sin in their lives dealt with. And he does that by taking it on himself on the cross. I was sharing with someone earlier this week about what happens when Jesus dies. Matthew 27, verse 51. On Good Friday, at the moment that Jesus dies and breathes his last breath, the curtain in the temple is ripped in two. That curtain was a wall 
It was a wall that stopped people from coming into the most intimate place with God. It was a place that only the highest priest could enter once a year. And when Jesus dies, this curtain is ripped in two. And in that, God is making a statement. All of you can come. Not just the high priest, not just the Jews, not just people who have this great family history, not just people who have whatever. Whatever you want to slap on there, as people say, to get to heaven. Whether it's good deeds, whether it's... I don't know. Whatever it is. Jesus says no. The curtain is torn into and everyone is welcome. There is no curtain, there is no wall to entering into community with God anymore. We can come into his presence. And that's the good news. And so as you go through your week, as you face whatever lies ahead, know that Jesus takes that and he carries it to the cross. And he deals with it at the cross. Because everything after the cross is done and dealt with. And so when those struggles come, when you are caught with grief, when you are caught with sorrows, your weaknesses, your failures, when you're caught in all of those things, Jesus says, come, lay it on me. Lay it on hard. Lay it on thick. Because I take it all. So that's the offer. That's the offer that Jesus makes. He invites us into community. To be his community. He invites us into his kingdom where sin will be no more and sin is dealt with. And he invites us to follow him today and see what that looks like into the future. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for what Jesus has done. We thank you for who he is. And we thank you that your love drove you to send your son, but it drove your son to the cross where he was afflicted, where he carried the burden of sin, where he takes all grief, all sorrow, all weakness, all illness, all disease, all of the things that sin has caused and he takes it to the cross and it is nailed there with him never to come down. God, speak to us now in this moment. Whisper your truth, your love, your grace and mercy. that we might know how much you love us. How much you have done for us. And so we commit this to you and ask that you would work in us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.
if you need to talk to someone, I know I say this each week, but seriously, if you need to talk about this, please come and see me. Don't, don't wait. Don't leave it hanging. We don't know what the future holds, but Jesus does. So please come and talk to me. Thanks.